listening to the Hackett Racket with Michael Hackett. Boom! This is Puppy Doom in the room. What is happening, oh people? Hope you're enjoying this podcast, man. The podcast where I talk a lot of bollocks at the start and then read the story behind the story. The book called English Dentist. Wow, man, I've been getting some nice feedback from y'all. Y'all been texting going, keep going, this is fucking funny, Michael. It was, it was painful at the time. I gotta be honest, painful, very much so, in terms of all the insecurity of what's gonna happen, what's gonna fucking happen. But it's good now. I'm away from it now. Oh, thank God for that. But yeah, how are you doing? How are you doing today, man? The weather's finally taking a turn. Gutted. My corona theory infecting the clouds and keeping them on lockdown didn't work out. <laughs> Man, I've been watching, right? Because you must all be doing the same. (laughs) I've been watching YouTube videos of just random stuff. And like my new favorite thing to look at is Elon Musk. That guy is a legend, man. Jesus. He's like sending rockets into space every month. And like making this Tesla car, the one I've been banging on about, this Tesla Cybertruck. Oh man, what a genius. Porsche have just released. I know like if you're female, you go, man, I don't like cars. Don't talk about this shit. Look at that. I'm so sexist already making these assumptions. But Porsche have just made an electric car. That's 1.9 million, right? Mega fast, 260 miles an hour, not to 60 and whatever. Tesla have done the same speed car for 200 grand. Like, this guy, you can't tell me that guy's not a legend. It's like, you know, like when Aldi first came onto the scene. Do you remember how buzzing everyone was that you go to Aldi and it was just, you think, how the fuck are they making this cheap? Like, flat screen TVs, a fifth of the price of what they are at Comet, right? (laughs) Oh, fucking... Those chocolate coloured peanuts, scoots, remember them? Scoots and flat screen TVs are the best thing ever to buy from Aldi. Like you just think, oh man, I don't know which, it's the same feeling you get when you go into um, Primark. Like you feel guilty, but you're also buzzing. You know, like you're buying five t-shirts for a quid and you think there's definitely some kids being whipped by a slave owner in a factory shop somewhere. But you know what? No one likes to admit this, but whipping keeps it cheap. Come on, man. You feel guilty of that, but then you're just buzzing off the cheap value. You're like, this is fucking mint. Keep going with this slave labor. I'll turn a blind eye because it feels good. Oh my God, that is bad, isn't it? Don't worry. I've seen on Facebook now, people are doing this thing, this campaign where they shave their head to uh, help someone who's going to kill themselves. I'm sorry, man. I'm calling bullshit on that straight out. That is just fucking some narcissistic bullshit. I I can't talk, right? Doing a podcast is slightly narcissistic. But like, these pretend do-gooders who are trying to get us to believe that them shaving their head is their way of really trying to help someone who's on the teetering brink of topping themselves. It's it's bullshit. (laughs) Like, put it this way. You've seen that scene out of Tiger King where that Travis, Joey Exotic's husband, one of his husbands, (laughs) who's not actually gay, just in it for the ride, literally. Walks into the gift shop, goes right in front of that guy, puts a gun to his own head and blows his brains out, right? Now, you're telling me if you're that other dude who sat at the desk watching someone blow the fucking brains out, okay? And I know later in the documentary, they go, oh, no, it wasn't suicide. He just made a mistake with a gun. But let's suppose it was suicide. Are you telling me that you go, mate, you're going to kill yourself? No, no, stop right there. I know what can help you. Oh, what's that? Are you going to talk to me and give up your free time to actually help me work through my problems and do all of this for no PR stunt, for no benefit to yourself whatsoever, other than just to help me? No, no, it's way better. Oh, really? What is it? What could it possibly be? 
Here is. Are you ready? I'm going to shave my head and then post it to all these friends and other strangers that you don't know on Facebook so that I guarantee I look good about myself. Does that make you feel better? Does it fuck? Mate, if I had that fucking gun and someone did that, before I turned it on myself, I'd turn it on the fucking other dude and go, do you want some of this? Fucking hell. I mean, that was a tragic state of affairs going on there, man. But Jesus, man, these people that just do all this all this stuff that they try to get to pretend like to kid the rest of the world. Oh, I'm so fucking great. Look at me helping this person. Why don't you just try and help them? And just help him. Why do you have to switch it into some PR stunt? I mean, to be fair, I can't talk because, you know, I've done some proper cringe with this stuff as PR stunts. You'll find out in the story later. Like, like I've dressed in a giant tooth costume, handing out flyers six in the morning, trying to get patients in the door. Jesus, I even had to fake my own accent and pretend I was Australian. Yeah, see, I was that embarrassed that I was the dentist as well as the flyer. I had to fake my own accent going, in each is dentist, in each is dentist. <laughs> That's a bad Australian accent, isn't it? But you know what I mean? At least I fucking admit that bullshit. It's like these other people that do all this, like, raising awareness, but it has no end game. It has no benefit to you other than to make you feel like shit while somehow putting them on a pedestal of being morally superior to the rest of us. Like, I know this girl on Facebook, and she posts all the time this stuff going, oh, I suffer from trigeminal neuralgia. She even called it the suicide disease. She's like, it's the suicide disease, right? It's known as, No, it's not known as that. Like, we study this stuff in dentistry loads. And basically, if you don't know what it is, um, trigeminal neuralgia, you have a trigeminal nerve, the fifth cranial nerve. Look at this, man. I'm fucking deep with this dentistry stuff, aren't I? See, I can talk about dick and balls, but I can talk about real stuff too. So, like, you have a facial nerve that gives you sensation over your face which is a part of the trigeminal nerve. Look, look at this going back. It's all coming back to me now. Just as a side note, that's totally random. Do you want to know the strangest name muscle on the face? It's called the levator labi superioris alicunase. Oh my God, is that some deep-minded shit? That's one little tiny muscle that raises your lip and makes your nose flare on one side called levator labi, which is Latin for lift lip. Uh, superioris, which means above, it's the upper lip. Aliku, which means a bit of nasy nose. <laughs> How daft is that, man? It's like the name is longer than the muscle itself. You can't have that. You shouldn't have that. Like, look at small stuff like an ant, A-N-T. Boom, you could write it on its back. Fucking <laughs> if it was called something like Levator Lebi Antos to six leg and finger gespiel or whatever it is. I don't know, man. You'd be like, hey, we should chase this. It's a tiny thing, needs a tiny name. Fucking ant. Or clit. <laughs> Same thing, see? They're hard to find, they're hard to see. Put a bit of sugar on there, they appear in fucking masses. Jesus, I'm talking bollocks. Anyway, try trigeminal neuralgia. So in the supposed name of raising awareness, this woman's posting all over Facebook all these things like, don't forget, I suffer trigeminal neuralgia, the suicide disease. And you're like, fuck off. It is not the suicide disease at all. Like fucking... The, the side effects is this. Someone comes to you as a patient, like one in fucking 1,000, and goes, oh, I've got toothache in my top mouth, right? Upper palate, whatever. You, as a dentist, try to fix it, doesn't get fixed. You then pull out the tooth where you think it is, and they go, I'm still feeling it. You then pull out the next tooth, and that's when you go, oh, shit, I think you've got trigeminal neuralgia, right? Which is this, like, just pain. Sometimes they get it going in the shower and stuff, and it's occasional. And the treatment for that is mild antidepressants. And that's the end of it. That's where the story ends. In the most extreme cases, in one in a fucking billion. Like, you know, it causes them severe, like 
problems. But this woman that posted it, you're like, fuck off. I know you and you don't have that fucking problem. Like, if you're going to complain about that shit and make that the big fucking thing, and it's awareness, raising awareness. What the fuck are you supposed to do with that awareness then? All right, I'm aware that you might have some kind of fucking slight problem occasionally, but now what? Now I just feel even more shit about myself. And I... Bollocks! It's bollocks! Like, if you're going to care about that, care about that guy who has his bollocks in a wheelbarrow and has to walk around with that. Because even though that's rare as anything, that still can't be that good. Like, put it this way, which would you prefer? Try gemini neuralgia, a few teeth missing for a misdiagnosis and then have mild antidepressants, or have to walk around the rest of your life with your big fucking massive bollocks in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> that's all I'm saying! Just imagine the inconvenience, right? You're worried about, you know, bringing on dry gem and neuralgia by having like a little shower. Oh my God, that water on my face, it, it triggers me, it triggers me, right? Whereas some poor guy is having to turn up to the nightclub trying to get in to have himself a bit of fun to empty his bollocks, right? And it's like, what's that wheelbarrow for, mate? Oh, these my bollocks in here. Fucking hell. It's like that embarrassing bodies program. Did you ever see that with that guy who had like a fat belly and then they like, they gave him more liposuction or he lost weight or something. And he just had this like, I think it was like 10 stone of excess skin just hanging on his front. He couldn't even see his own dick. Instead, what he had to do was put a cat litter tray under his belly, piss down the inside of that like some kind of human Niagara Falls, and then just kick it away with his crutch. And you think, you poor fella. Come on, you're telling me? Someone going, oh, I feel like a bit of soreness on my face. That versus that poor guy on embarrassing body. <laughs> Oh my God. When they cut that belly off, man, he kept falling backwards because he was so used to the weight on the front of his body. He just kept falling back all the time. Like, Jesus, man. Imagine him having that bollock disease as well. You just feel like, mate, you are getting out of control. It's <laughs> a chill your beans, man. Oh, fuck. Anyway, I'm sorry. I keep talking. This is the weirdest podcast I never intended to discuss, you know, just like Michael, this was supposed to be about your story progressing through dentistry and it's just turned up to be a bloody freak show. Too right it has. Anyway, so let's get to it, people. Let's get to this. And by the way, we're on Spotify now as well. So if you follow Spotify, follow the podcast on iTunes, whichever one you prefer, man, you'll get notified then each time a new chapter gets released, man. This is buzzing. This is so bloody buzzing. Right, let's get to it. Chapter 11. Back in for a bit. So remember, I just got naked and got fired. Now I'm waking up the next day to realize what the fuck have I just done? <laughs> because no one cared in the team. The boss has now fired me and everyone else just didn't even care, man. So all my efforts were in vain. It says here, in my own sanctimonious bid to liven up and motivate a team of people who didn't seem to care anyway, I'd now lost my job whilst Clive, the boss, had declared that he was going to get me struck off. Yeah, man, this was, this was bad. <laughs> this was proper bad. So what happened the next morning was I woke up. First thing I did, like most people, I checked my mobile phone and I was just praying there'd be some answer phone message from Clive, the boss, just going, oh, yeah, don't worry, I didn't mean to fire you. Everything's okay. Obviously, that was wishful thinking. <laughs> because that did not happen at all. Instead, what I had was three answer phone messages from two of the girls that worked there. One of them was from this girl called Amanda, who's a receptionist. She was pretty cool, right? She's like, oh, come to the nightclub, right? Don't worry. The other one was from Tisha, right? And her biggest comment was nothing to do with the fact I just lost my job. Do you know what her biggest comment was? It was that I needed to trim my pubes. <laughs> I was gutted, man. I was like, fuck. Because, like, being fired, man, 
bad shit. I still had debts. I was fucking panicking. He's like, I'm going to get you struck up. I had to do something, man. So I thought, I need to call this guy. Now, I know that he changed his mobile, but he'd given me a business card on the day of the interview. So I started rooting through the wardrobe, found the suit that I got interviewed in, the sixth form common suit. And in the pocket was a business card that had his house landline on it. So I rang that man. Oh my God, ringing a landline nowadays is just horrendous, isn't it? So I'm ringing, just waiting. He's like, bring, 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 bring. Anyway, he picked up and he's like, so posh. He's like, Clive's residence, <laughs> right? So I'm like, hello, is, is Clive there? No, in full well, it was him, right? And he's like, speaking. So I was like, hi Clive, it's Michael. Listen, I'm really sorry about last night. I really apologize. Oh man, I was so ready to suck this guy's dick, man. He's like, what you did was disgraceful. I'm like, I know, I know, I'm so sorry. I'm so Honestly, I would have literally unzipped and fucking gobble gobbled like a turkey. Anyway, surprisingly, he goes, fine, I'll allow you to come back. And I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you so much. And he goes, yes, well, let's just call it water under the bridge. Anyway, the phone went down. I did a little dance around the room. But I remember thinking to myself, that was way too easy, man. That just felt far too easy. You know where like you just have this instinct that something that's not you're not getting the full picture? Well I'll tell you this, the moment I get back, I would soon discover why. You're listening to the Hackett Racket with Michael Hackett. Yeah, so what happened was Clive's decision to let me come back had been nothing more than a short-term chess move, which related purely to his NHS contract. So the way an NHS dental practice works, it's a bit like a GP surgery, is the primary care trust, which is now called CQC, what they do is they give a contract amount of treatment for the year. So they might go, okay, you've got 300 grand this year that you have to do this amount of treatment that's called units of dental activity. And the deadline is always March 31st. Now, if you don't do the 300 grand's worth of treatment, your practice, whatever, supposing you do like 250, they'll usually either pull the 50 grand away and give it to some other practices that are doing it. Or sometimes they'll revoke your entire contract, right? So it's proper scary because like Clive, if he'd have sacked me at Christmas time and had to get a new dentist in, he was already behind target with the other dentists because they were quite slow. And me and Tisha were proper rapid. So he needed me to keep the practice on target by March 31st. If you tried to find a new person and hire them, just to get them registered with the primary care trust was taken at the time, like six weeks to two months, which means they wouldn't be allowed to work in the practice. So all that time, he'd have a surgery empty, which means he would fall instantly behind target and lose his contract. So he was spewing, man, because you could tell on day one, when I arrived back in the new year and I'm all hoping it's gonna be all fine and dandy, man, he was not happy at all, man. But like, as a side note to this as well, I'll just tell you something interesting before I continue with the story. Dentistry's changed like over the last like 20 years. So the way like our parents and stuff were treated by dentists was called fee per item. So a dentist could just set up anywhere they wanted and just start drilling teeth. And the more drilling they did, the more money they got paid. Even to the point that the filling, if it goes like from the biting service over the site, they get more. So some of the dentists, not all of them, because some of them are really ethical, but some of them, some of the dodgy ones used to just drill like crazy. So this is why you see in a lot of the older generations from like the 70s and 60s and stuff like that, if you look inside their mouth, they've just got wall to wall metal. It got so bad in fact, they even had a nickname for it called the Australian Trench. So like dentists from Australia used to come over on a two year visa and work in England and just to like rinse money because they didn't care like about any aftermath with patients. Some of them used to just run the drill from the back molars all the way up to the pre-molars, just run it right along, like it's going nee, 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 all the way along, right? Just give them like five fillings on each side called the Australian Trench, just so they could rinse money. 
And if they ever got any complaints, they didn't care because they just went back to Australia like a year later or two years. So how bad is that, man? That is bad, isn't it? It's like that book. You've heard that book called Free Economics. It talks about in America, same thing. Like, so in America, they suddenly started increasing the pay for kids having their appendix out. So they said, yeah, yeah, we'll pay you more. So instantly, kids being diagnosed with needing an appendix out, like jumped by 200-fold or something mental, right? It's the same in dentistry. If you incentivize a dentist that they're going to get paid the more treatment they do, then they, they're going to just go nuts and start like treating loads of people. And like, it's weird because you can even see random things. So the most money they used to get on the NHS was a gold crown back in the day. And pregnant women, they get free dental care. Now, usually a lot of them have got a perfect mouth and they don't need fillings. But sometimes what you see, even though all the teeth are fine, is just a random gold crown. And you think, why the hell have they got this in the mouth? Like a crown's quite hardcore on your mouth, like a lot of drilling and stuff. And usually it's the time that they had a baby and some snidey dentist has just gone, oh yeah, yeah, your treatment's free. Uh, this tooth's a bit knackered, you need a full gold crown. And it's not knackered. So like sometimes you get a woman coming in, they've got like two gold crowns and you're like, oh, you've got two kids? Yeah, bang. That's because both times you were pregnant, some snide dentist just gave you loads of treatment you didn't need. How bad is that, man? How bad is that? And I don't want to worry you. Dentistry has come a long way. Like for our grandparents, it was a million times worse. So back in like the 1940s and like beforehand, they didn't have any control over teeth and gums. They were just getting rotten left, right and center. So what they used to give as a birthday present or like a wedding present was for your 21st, was to have all your teeth ripped out and given some dentures, whether or not you needed it. <laughs> That's mad, isn't it, man? Imagine that. Happy 21st. What well, you got? Go over there, see that dude. Here's a pair of pliers. Hump, 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 hump. Oh, God, big. I know. In your birthday party? Yes, I guess so. Fucking hell. That's called preemptive striking, that, isn't it, man? Jesus. I mean, why stop there? It's like, hey, the dude's going to be dead at some point. Let's get him in that coffin. But I want to live my life. No, no, fella. You're going to die at some point. Why waste time? Just get in that fucking coffin. <laughs> get your send buried, lad. Jesus Christ. Fucking crazy. Anyway, we've got a total different system now, which might please you. It started like 2006, so I guess it's been around for a while. It's a banding system. And the idea is, it works against you if you try and overtreat patients. So what it encourages the dentist to do instead is see more patients rather than just do like loads of treatment on one. They do the right amount of treatment, but on more people. And like this is exactly what Clive and his team needed from us because me and Tisha could get through loads of patients and because uh, we worked so hard and efficient and that would bring his targets up. But come like March 31st, once he's on target and gets an automatic renewal of his contract, that's when he'd have all the time in the world to sack me. And boy, could you tell that he wanted to sack me. So like it came to meetings and stuff. I'm like trying to offer him coffees and teas. Oh, do you want a cup of tea? In the corridor and he's like, no, thank you. Just being miserable. In the meetings, he's like asking questions, going, how can we get more patients in? And all his dentists are coming like lame ass excuses, right? Dentists are no good at marketing. They hate to market. And because I'd seen all the stuff in the salons, the way they got patients in and people in and stuff, I was just going, hey man, we could put a banner up because those banners were working like a beast at the salons. So I'm like, oh yeah, what about putting a banner? Like, they started scoffing me straight, going, oh Michael and his banner, ma, ma, ma. I thought, fuck you, dickheads. And you know what? The worst moment that just made me feel like shit was like a few weeks passed and this woman came from the primary care church. She's like Asian woman in the 40s, proper nice and everything. And she's in the clinic talking to Clive about his contract. And I'm walking by the door and he goes, Michael, come in. So I came in and he's like, this is uh, Miss Shah from the primary care trust. So I'm like, oh, hello. And she's like, hello. And then I just stood there. I didn't know why he called me in there. I'm just stood looking at her and she's looking at me and it just got really awkward really quickly. And then he, Clive just looked at me and went, 
Well, go then. She's not here to speak to you. And I thought, fuck you, bastard. I just walked out like some little puppet, like, oh, go, go. Anyway, I'm panicking. I know my days are numbered. I can't get a job now because everyone had to use this NHS email system. So I couldn't fake the reference and job like I'd done before. Like this new security system was put in place. And I'm looking through like the British Dental Journal trying to find jobs and there's just nothing that time of year, man. I was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. What can I do? So I'm panicking. It's just getting the pressures on. We're getting closer and closer to March. I'm like, man, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. Anyway, I'm searching and searching and searching. And eventually the new British Dental Journal magazine comes out. And this is when I see something that's going to change everything. It says on this big advert, invitation for tender. You're listening to the Hackett Racket with Michael Hackett. Invitation for tender? What's so significant about that? Let me explain. So basically, it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. What happened was some other practice had got nailed by the credit crunch and it failed to meet its targets. So the NHS revoked its half a million pound contract that it had and it was now offering up invitations for tender for someone to take that money and provide a service from scratch. So this barely ever happens, ever. So I'm like, boom, man, I can apply for this stuff. So I downloaded all the application forms and I worked like crazy filling out all the requirements. They needed to like have a, pl- a premises that was in 100 meters of this particular high street. I'm not gonna say which one, right? And like, uh, this was hard to do. So I, I, I cycle around all these places. I managed to find this premises. Like the landlord there was a bit of a dick. He's like, oh, I want lo- like loads of rent, like an extortionate amount. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll pay it. Just give me the letter that says I've got a first refusal, right? Because the idea is you put that into the application and once you actually win the contract, you can set up in a different location if it's possible, or then you can work on renegotiating it. But in such a short time frame, it's best just to just go, oh, just give me the proof that I can get this premises. <laughs> so if any other dentists, they come along, you've got the first refusal letter and they don't, right? So that's the first thing you have to do. The next thing you have to do, which is really critical if ever you're gonna apply for any tender, someone taught me this and it's amazing, amazing little gem of information, is on the very back page, you spell out line by line why the person who makes the decision as to who wins the tender should pick you. People never get this, man, but it's an amazing tip. So you just put, the reason you should choose me is because, number one, I am the most reliable, whatever it's going to be. Number two, I can provide exactly your requirement and I have demonstrated this so far with blah, blah, blah. Number three, honestly, man, it works an absolute beast. Anyway, so I did all of this, filled out the pro formas and all the forms perfectly, managed to submit it by 8 a.m., right? I worked all the way through the night for eight days straight. I was proper knackered. Like, dropped it off exactly like five minutes to eight when the deadline was in the morning. My eyes were like almost bleeding. So now I just had to wait to see if it would work. Anyway, a week later, I get a letter from the primary care trust saying you've been shortlisted for interview. Boom! Fucking how good is that shit, man? This was like a stroke of luck in all the bad times I was having. I even found out later that I was shortlisted from 22 applicants down to three. So I'm buzzing. Clive's got no idea about this and I'm keeping it as quiet as possible. I come into work the next day and this is when I get the biggest shock going because before I even get a chance to get into my surgery, Clive pulls me aside and goes, can I have a word? I'm like, oh my God, what's this, man? You know, I can just get that sense of dread. He goes, yes, I understand you've been in contact with the PCT. And straight away, I'm like, fuck, man, fuck. Does he know about me applying for this tender, man? I've not told a single soul about this. I'm trying to keep it quiet. Anyway, he's just staring at me. So this is when I pulled like my only negotiation tactic, which is called the silent trick, man. This is a beast of a trick. So like people use this in business all the time. Like you've seen Dragon's Den, the program. They're all sat miserably silent. 
That is like a tactic that they use to bleed information out of people. So if someone's ever talking to you in business and you need to know more rather than give up information, just keep fucking silent. And it gets so uncomfortable. You're just staring at each other, right? It's really unnatural. They'll go blur, 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 and they'll just bleed more information than they naturally want to, which gives you just that little bit of an edge in the negotiation power. The more information they give and the less you give for it means you've got a stronger position. So I just keep silent and he's forced to speak again. He goes, yes, um, a little birdie tells me you've applied for the tender. And I'm like, oh my God, how the fuck does he know about this, right? So now I'm screaming inside thinking, shit, 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 how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? So I just start using his own bullshit back at him. I'm like, oh, well, yes, Clive. Um, you told me that I need to learn more about NHS protocols. So I'm just applying for this tender in order to learn about NHS protocols. That's all it is, just a learning exercise, right? Which was absolute bullshit. And you can see he wasn't buying it. He's like a bit confused. And I'm like, listen, uh, I've got a patient waiting. I best go, is that okay? And I just kind of scarper off. And I'm like, fuck, man, that was a close call. Anyway, I'm just treating patients now, man, keeping quiet as possible. And I'm getting ready for this interview. So it's like a presentation as to how I'm going to do the tender. So I thought I'll just give a call to the primary care trust ahead of time just to make sure I've got everything right, all the kind of PowerPoint and stuff. And by the way, phoning ahead like this is a top tip, man, because you're doing it for two reasons. Number one is a last minute check to make sure you've not got anything that you're not going to know about. Like you turn up on the day and there's no computer or no screen you can plug into, whatever. And the, the bigger reason you phone up is not to be thorough. It's to kind of like build a little bit more of a rapport with whoever's going to be dealing with you, man. Because if you turn up cold on the interview and you don't know anyone and you've not chatted to anyone before it's harder for you to win whereas if you like make a little like cheeky call before and go oh yeah i just want to make sure about this oh how's it going how's your day they're caught off guard and you can build a friendship maybe even get some great advice anyway this is not what happened here so i phoned up the place and miss shah answered the woman that i'd met in the surgery that time remember when clive called me in that room and um, she goes, oh yeah, well done on your application. You've done amazing, man. You've been shortlisted. It's an excellent application. We're really looking forward to your presentation. I was like, oh great. Anything else you think I need to do? And this is when she fucking hit me with a massive shot. She goes, yeah, you might want to ask Clive for some assistance on this. And I'm thinking, was she not there at that time when Clive called me in right in front of her? Made me like awkward as shit going, hello. And then went, we'll go then. Does she not like realize this guy is my fucking enemy? Anyway, confused. I go, do you think I need it? And she goes, well, Clive's well known around here and perhaps getting like the approval of a principal like him would make your application even stronger. So I'm like, okay, thanks. So I put the phone down now and now I've got a dilemma. I'm like, what the fuck should I do? Like, what would you do in this situation? So like, to me, it sounded like Miss Shah was subtly warning me, I need to get the approval of my boss in order to have bigger backing. Because I was like a new contender in this application. I'm like a young dentist applying. And the big thing in business that like a principal you have to realize is people don't make the best decision. So if you're the best option, they won't necessarily choose you. Instead, what they do is make the least worst decision. Because if whoever they choose goes wrong, they go, well, it wasn't such a crazy idea me picking that guy because you all seemed like it was okay. So don't fire me, I'm normal, right? That's what people do. So I thought, is this her just saying like, yeah, yeah, get the approval of your boss. He's well known, go with him and it makes your application bulletproof. But then again, like how bad would it look? I turn up going, hi Clive, you know, I know like I strip naked that you do and I know you want to sack me and all that, but now instead, will you help me become a boss and potentially competition against you? <laughs> it's fucking horrible. So I sat all night, 15 hours before the interview and thought, fuck it, man, I'm just being paranoid. I'm going to ask for his help. 
Anyway, the next morning, I've got the day booked off work. I go into his surgery and I ask him. I'm like, uh, hi, Clive. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, basically, I made it through to the interview process. And, and I was just wondering if I could have like your backing or your approval. And straight away, his face switched, man. He's like, what? This is preposterous, right? I'm like, what do you mean? And he started going on. He goes, you sh- this, this, this is not good for you. This is not. And he started acting like he's like some kind of teacher. And like, it was no good for me to take this 500,000 pound contract because, you know, it's not a business profitable thing. It's no good for me at my stage of dentistry. All this kind of like negative reasons and stuff. So I thought I'll use his teaching stuff against him. I was like, no, I just, you know, I thought it'd be like a mentoring thing. You could guide me along as to how to improve to be a dentist, right? And eventually I managed to turn him around. He goes, fine, okay, uh, I will approve what you're doing and I will give you the backing you need, right? So I'm like, boom, nice one. It always always looking up at this point. I then rushed on to the primary care trust, gave this presentation. I did a pretty good presentation, right? And then Miss Shah escorted me to the lift on the way out. She goes, just between you and me, you're the only guy that managed to secure a premises within 100 yards of the high street and meet all the criteria. And you gave the best presentation. I was like, man, I have to win this. I have to win this, man. I've done the best of everything. Anyway, I have to wait now four or five hours to find out the result. I'm like, please, come on, get this, man. This will be the life-saving move. So I'm walking along the River Thames, just kind of mulling over, just trying to waste time. And then I get the phone call from this boss at the primary care trust. So I've never spoken to this guy before. And he's like, hi there. Yes, I'm Mr. Darlington. Uh, and he gives me all his like, bum first. Like, thank you very much for applying for the uh, the tender. It was an excellent application. We really appreciate that. And I'm like, you know, when you just think, you can feel, like, oh, this is going sour, man. And he goes, um, yes, but uh, we would like to just say that, uh, unfortunately, you didn't make it. The competition was very fierce. So I'm like, what do you mean I didn't make it? But didn't I give the best presentation? Wasn't I the only dentist that managed to get the premises you needed within the 100 meters of the high street, like you'd asked? And like straight away, he gets his back up and he's like, no, 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 listen, I'm not calling here. I'm not calling here to argue. So I was like, well, who did you go with then? Who did you go with? He goes, oh, I went with these uh, people that had more experience or already run a practice. I'm like, yeah, but your application said you specifically wanted new talent. So how is that new talent? He goes, listen, I'm not here to argue, okay? I'm just here to inform you that you failed to win the tender. So thank you for your application and goodbye. Phone went down. Anyway, here's the maddest bit. I would find out fucking way later in the timeline in the story that the moment I went into the practice to Clive and asked him for his help, when I left that surgery, he immediately phoned up the primary care trust because he didn't know I'd made it that far. He didn't know I'd been shortlisted. He phoned up and said, under all circumstances, whatever you do, do not let Michael win the tender. On top of this, the moment I put the phone down with the primary care trust, I get a text off Tisha to say she's just seen an advert go online for a new dentist at Clive's, which was basically to replace me. So Clive, if you're listening to this, given the way you spoke to me back at the Christmas do, it's now my turn to say to you, fuck you, you fucking motherfucker. God, that felt good getting that off my chest. <laughs> Listening to the Hackett Racket with Michael Hackett.